Is honesty always the best policy? They say the truth will set you free. Yeah, that's what they say. Cece was honest with social services, but sadly, they weren't honest with her. Cece, what state are you calling from? I'm in California. California. So people in California, I want you to listen to this story because, like I said, it's a very unique story. The kids, they're your niece and nephew. Yes. And they're so, my, my brother's children, my my biological full brother. They're his children. Okay. And um, my niece had actually lived with me before, not through the system. But okay. um, so and, and we're very close. I'm very close to them. I'm their closest relative. My brother doesn't, um, you know, he's got his own issues. Okay. But um, and mind you, the, the reasons that they were removed were health issues. My brother, my brother has um, some mental health issues, so they struggle with cleanliness and it got out of control. It was really bad. And um, it was to the point that it was unhealthy, but there were no drugs involved. There was no physical abuse involved. It was neglect. And that's so wrong. And I'm glad that someone stepped in and, and did something about it. However, Everything that took place after that, I think, was just as bad as them staying in the home. Okay. And you said that the kids were, so the first, how long ago were they removed from the home? Uh, February this year. February this year. And so their first placement was not with you guys. Correct. Their first placement was, well, the way it happened was even strange to me. So I, I was a foster child myself. And so I remember the system very different. Now, this is over 20 years ago. But um, when it used to be that, at least here in our county, that if you were removed and there was a family member who was willing to take you, they automatically went, you automatically went to your family. True. And then they went through whatever family process was necessary. Um, when my brother told, when they, when they went to go pick up the kids for my brothers and my brother told them that he has a sister, I'm just down the street. Okay. Hold on. Hold on. Let me ask you this real quick. Is your brother married? Yes. My brother and And, his wife. And and they, because, and the wife lives in the home. Yes. And they both have their developmental, um, disabilities. Got you. And, um, there's also, I also have a third nephew, um, but he's my, he, he's my brother's stepson. So he had family in LA that was able to take him. Okay. Um, but they couldn't take the other two and they didn't know the other two. The other two grew up here with us. Okay. The first placement fell through. They contacted you guys or did you guys contact them? No. So as soon as the kids were taken, Mm -hmm. my brother called me and he said, that, you know, they came, they took the kids. I said, why didn't you call me? Why didn't they call me? He said, they, I asked them and they said no. And it was a sheriff and CPS and it was a Friday evening. So there was nothing they were going to be able to do no matter what. And so when he called me and told me that I was like, okay, Monday morning, because they're probably going to go straight to the um, shelter Monday morning, I'll start whatever I'll call and we'll see, you know, what, what I got to do to make sure they can come home to me. Got you. And so Monday morning I called and 
they said that I had to, me and my husband and any other adults in the home, had to go through the um, resource family application process. And I explained that I'm a relative, that she's lived with me before, that my niece has lived with me before. And they said it doesn't matter. It's all the same family or not. You guys all go through the same process. So that to me was very new. But... So that's what we did. We immediately, as soon as Monday morning rolled around, me and my husband got on the application process. Um, during that time, within the first couple of weeks, um, they were placed in foster homes. Gotcha. Uh, they were placed, First, they were initially separated. Initially, when they were separated the first night, my oldest nephew, um, he went to the children's hospital because he had pneumonia. Oh, wow. My niece went to the shelter and my youngest nephew went to uh, a foster home immediately. So he was placed right away. Okay. So so initially they were separated right off the bat, which blew my mind. Um, So then come Monday morning, you know, we're willing to take them. We will make whatever arrangements we can take to be able to take them right away. And they told us no. We had to start the process. So we started the application process. And, and that process that took process, how long? That process took, it, let's see. Well, technically it never finished. But from February, March, April, May, June, July, August. They were placed with us August 4th, so six months. Okay. And during that process. Oh, so, and and the reason they were placed with us specifically at that time and was because the foster home that, Right. So the the home that my niece and nephew were finally placed in together, they had actually given their two weeks to send them back because they were having difficulty with my nephew. And so instead of the social worker trying to find them another home, that's why they placed them with us when they did. So now they need you. And exactly. so then they reached out. Right. So we weren't even approved at that point when they were placed with us. Which, we had means, gone through- which means they could have placed them with you from the beginning. Exactly. Yeah. Because we start when we started the process, we were very clear up front that we are cannabis patients because we know this is an issue. We know this could potentially be a problem and we know they're going to have rules, yeah. which are fine. So we were you know, willing to do whatever we needed to do for them. Yeah, but let me say and- this about that. Being that you're in a state where it's legal. Honestly, I don't see that any different than you and your husband saying on a Friday night, hey, we're going to open up a bottle of wine and, you know, we put the kids to bed. We're going to take a drink. You know what I'm saying? A couple of sips or whatever. You know what I'm saying? If you have to stumble off the bed. so And so in our county, unfortunately, it's still treated as though it's not legal. Mm-hmm. We don't have legal dispensaries here. Um, we have a, a couple of delivery ones, but um, we don't. Uh, our dispensaries still get raided um, our, in our county. Okay, and the you guys county. have a prescription for it. How did you know? Or did you? No. Go- so the way it works is because it's state legally state legal. They we're not required to have a prescription. Okay. However, when it comes to purchasing and things like that, 
Um, they just make it more difficult. Okay. Let's put it that way. It, but it's just the county. Just our county is like that. Like we can drive right out of the county and go to any dispensary with no problem. We Got don't you. just our ID. We Got don't you. need any kind of um, you know medical card or anything like that. Okay. And we're not required to have one in our county either. That's why we were able to get the kids because the the RFA supervisor did explain that it is legal in the state, so we're not required to have a medical card. So okay. there was no issue with us actually being able to use it, like, according to the supervisor. The worker himself, the RFA worker, he had the problem with it. So the, the social worker for the children, yeah. she had a problem with it. Those were the two that had the main problem with it because okay. our whole county is still very conservative. Okay. Well, let's let's just go to the, the very first day. Because I, from my understanding and what I've read, the social worker that day that they were placed in your home, that you guys had a discussion about it that day? No. Okay. So the, so the way it went was we had our home inspection in July. And we spoke with the RFA worker. That's when we showed him where our plants were. And let me tell you that that even that when they when they terminated the application process, even that was something that blew my mind because they noted in there that we lied about having cannabis plants. We lied by omission. And what happened was we were doing our home inspection. So we were walking through the house. We hadn't gone out to the backyard yet. Gotcha. We had to stop at the kitchen so he can te- check the temperature of the the hot water. And so he turned the faucet on and he was holding his hand under the water and he looked out the window and he saw the plants. Gotcha. And he said, are those marijuana plants? And I started joking. I smiled and I said, no, those are tomato plants. And he, you know, clearly being facetious, I was clearly course, joking. And, you know, everybody knows what a marijuana plant looks like. I'm not any, they were about six inches tall. They weren't very big. It's, I mean, the leaf that you see everywhere that looks like a can, that the cannabis leaf that represents cannabis, that's, what that's it, exactly okay, what the gotcha. plant looks like. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's okay. exactly what it looks like. It's just a handful of those leaves. And okay. it was very small. It was a, a seedling. It was very small. It was about six inches. And so we had we had six of them, which is what we're legally allowed to have. And so he had, you know, walked through. He was going to see them when he walked to the backyard because we had to inspect the whole property. Gotcha. Now, we live on a farm, mind you. So we're, we're on a two acre farm. So that's a whole nother part of the story. But so we thought we were going to have to show him the entire property. So we knew we were going to show him these plants. They're right outside of our window in our kitchen. And so eventually we got to the backyard. We showed him the plants. He said he thought it was going to be a problem. He contacted his supervisor then and there and said, it's not a problem. We're allowed to have them. But this was in July and we're in Central California and we have triple digit summers. So before the children even moved in, our plants died. So they were dead and pulled before he even came back for reinspection. Got you. And so there, the plants were never even an issue. But what he said in the the letter to CSTAR application process was that we lied by omission about them. So no matter what, that that had nothing to do with the kids. However, um, yeah, he yeah. decided it would be something he would put in there as a reason for why they were not going to finish our application process. Yeah. So we I think, went through the well, house. Honestly, what I think, I actually think they were just using you guys as a temporary placement until they could do something better. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. That's exactly what my husband said, because the way it happened was so strategic. See, I thought that social workers, see, I've never had to deal with them Mm -hmm. as an adult. Yeah. So I thought that 
they always just did unannounced visits. No. I didn't know that the unannounced visit, visits were when they were looking for something. So Bianca, the social worker for the children, she never did a scheduled visit. All her visits were unannounced. So in two months, she did four unannounced visits. In all those visits, she never saw smoking. She never saw any kind of cannabis paraphernalia. She's never seen us high. She's never seen us. The kids had never seen us smoking okay. in all the two months. But hold on. So, so let me ask you, what's the plan for when, like you say, you, you and your husband decide, OK, tonight we're going to smoke. You know what I'm saying? With the kids there. So our listeners can have some understanding of what it what it is you actually do on a night that you do smoke. OK, so the way it works is we have um, if we are able to, we have usually two opportunities to take a smoke break. The one would be during the day while the kids are at school okay. and the baby's down for a nap. We had, according to, we had, you know, like I said, we have a two acre farm. So there's plenty of space to go out and smoke. Got you. Um, but the social workers gave us two designated spots um, on our property. And which is strange that one of those designated spots was actually right outside the children's bedroom. And they didn't have a problem with that. I didn't understand that one. Okay. But anyway, so... If the kids are at school and the baby goes down for her nap, we have a chance to go out and smoke. Okay. Um, and we had to rotate because the social workers said we weren't allowed to smoke together. I did yeah. understand that to an extent, but as you re related to a glass of wine earlier. Yeah. So, right. And that's our... Between people's tolerances. Right. And that was our... So that was our main... Um, our main thing was that we wait till the kids go to bed and all the kids in the, and we have teenagers too, but they all go to school. So they all go to bed, you know, at the same time, yeah. once the baby's in bed and the kids are all in bed and then we have our alone time, which is very limited when you're a foster parent. It's limited when you're a regular parent, but that's even more limited when yeah. you're a foster parent. Yeah, to get because when you have time. your own kids, your own kids kind of know you. They know you, you know what I'm saying? They know your habits. Right. You know theirs. It's totally different when you bring, even though they're your niece and nephew, it's totally different when you bring other kids into your environment. Right. And it's different when it's, when you're, you know, being monitored because that's exactly what CPS does. They're yeah. monitoring you. So when it was, so like, for instance, my kids could go spend the weekend at my sister's yeah. and there's no issue. I don't have to ask anybody. Yeah. But once my niece and nephew, mind you, this is also their aunt and she, my niece and nephew know them as well. But I had to get permission and my sister had to get fingerprinted for my niece and nephew to be able to spend the night over there wow. or to stay for a long period of time. Yeah. And that it was just, it's such a strange thing yeah. for us to be six months before this happened, before they were placed with us. I didn't have to ask to go pick them up and take them to my sister's for the day. But let me tell day. you this, let me tell you. And I've been, like I said, I've been doing this for 10 years. A lot of times we don't tell them anything. If they're going to your sister's, your sister is a responsible person. Hey, come pick the kids up, let them spend the night and bring them right back. I think it's because because we felt from the beginning that they were judging us for the cannabis. Mm -hmm. We felt like we had to be perfect. Yeah. We couldn't make any errors. So we really tried to make sure that we were following their guidelines, following their rules, even though some of them were absolutely ridiculous but it was they needed us they yeah. and you know we had talked at when we first 
um, actually, when we before we this ever happened, we had talked about maybe fostering when our baby was older. Yeah, you know, we had mentioned it. We talked about it. Going through this process, we know for a fact we will never foster in this county. Yeah. Uh, other than my niece and nephew, I will never go through this process again. And I can see why the, we struggle to find foster parents and mm-hmm. foster families, good, decent foster parents and foster families, because you you are judged. They come into your home. They're extremely invasive. And they treated us as if it was our children that were taken. Yeah. And then when they did take my niece and nephew, I was riddled with anxiety, wondering if they were going to come back from my kids. I'm sure. I'm that sure. That's damaging. That is so damaging to me. Yeah. That's damaging to my kids trying to figure out, wait, what happened? Why did they take them? I have to explain to you know my own kids what happened. And how do I say, look, we didn't do anything wrong, but according to them, we did. Yeah. You know, like... It's in my, you know, the, the cousins that my niece and nephew were finally able to, you know, be close to and hang out with often and mm-hmm. stuff. They were asking, you know, why don't Emily and Benjamin come over anymore? Why aren't they going to school anymore? They were all going to school together. And, you know, and even that my brother requested both times. So in California, in our county, I don't know how it works in other states, but okay. we have, um, we have a law that the children have a right to remain in their home school or the school that they were um, that they were through um, what's called the McKinney Vento program. Okay. And so I actually spoke with the superintendent of schools who told me that they have that right and to make sure I fight and my brother fights to keep them in their school. And the social worker denied it both times when they were first removed and then again when they were removed from my home. Where is your brother in the process? of possibly getting his kids back. So he he says so their next court hearing is January. He says that their um where they're supposed to be, their house is clean, you know, they've done all their parenting classes and he did. I I know he's done his classes. They didn't they required them to drug test for like a month just out of like um policy and then okay. once drug you know that was never an issue they didn't have to drug test anymore um they they go to their visits regularly there are times where they, i get frustrated with them because i don't feel like they're doing they're doing the minimum but the workers aren't really the workers here aren't really good about um family reunification they were talking to me and my husband really early on about permanent placement okay and i told i told them right off the bat i'm not going to have that discussion yet they're they barely came to me like this just happened this is only a few months like give my brother a chance okay now hold on i know in virginia hold on let me ask you this because in virginia when they do permanent foster care agreements they give you all the rights of the parent Yes. Well, yes. And at the time, at the beginning of that, see, at first I was like, no, I don't want my brother and sister-in-law to think I'm trying to take their kids. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm I'm just trying to be here to help them get back on their feet. But once I realized that that takes CPS out of it a lot more then I was like, why didn't I go that route? But they weren't talking about that. They were talking about adoption. (laughs) I was like, why are we talking about adoption? This is, they're barely being placed in foster care, you know? So it, it made me think that they really obviously have no intention of giving them back to my brother. 
but I didn't realize that they were going to be able to just abruptly remove them from my home without, I guess I have to explain the day they were taken. So we were, so my mom died earlier this year and at the end of January. I'm sorry to hear that. I really am. My condolences to you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, they weren't, they were taken shortly after and they weren't even allowed to go to the funeral. Um, so my mom's birthday was at the end of uh, the month of September and we were having a memorial dinner for her. And the only way for me and the kids to attend and my brother and his wife to be able to attend is if it was a visit or if there was a, like a designated, um, you know, supervisor. Well, our social worker, she doesn't work after hours, so she won't do any kind of visits after hours. They don't answer the phone after hours and they don't answer the Mm -hmm. phone on weekends. But she didn't answer my phone. She didn't answer my phone or text. I have a week long of me texting her and her not responding. And then she would respond and act like there was like I didn't ask her 50 questions in between. It was ridiculous. But anyway, so that Friday, um, it was about one o'clock and she called me and she said, how about if we do give you the paperwork to be the designee? Or she said, how about if you be the designee for tonight and you can supervise so that you can be there and your brother can be there with the kids at the dinner? And so I said, okay, that's fine. I had asked her about it before. She said it was a long process. She said I wasn't ready. Um, But at this time, I guess she decided that she was going to let me. So she called me about one o'clock. The kids were still in school. Um, The dinner was at four. The dinner was scheduled for five. Gotcha. So at one o'clock, she calls me. She tells me that we could be the designee. And I asked her about the paperwork because she was she said that she wasn't going to send me any paperwork. She just said, go ahead and do it. And I was like, I thought you said there was a lot of paperwork involved. She was like, oh, yeah, I'll email it to you. Okay. so I get the email. I print it out. I'm going through it at about four thirty, thirty minutes before we leave. Thirty minutes after we got home from picking up the kids, she calls and she's at my gate at my front gate. We have a lock on the gate. And she said, we wanted to go over the paperwork with you in person. She had another social work with her social worker with her. She introduced her as her as her associate. She didn't say why she had another social worker. She didn't say anything about it. So they came up, you know, came in. I told them, you know, we just got home. We're getting ready to go. I was going over the paperwork. Um, she was like, Okay, well, we, let's do a quick walkthrough. So she, they came in, they walked through the house, they walked through the bedrooms, even in my bedroom, they walked through the kitchen, they checked the fridge, which is, I assume, is common. And it's not, um, it's not common. Oh, it's not well, I thought Virginia. they walked in Virginia. It's not uh, common. Well, I thought it was common because she said we got to make sure you guys have food, mm-hmm. and so she went. They went and checked the kitchen, the cabinets, and yeah, so, she, I tell you what she was doing. She was fishing. <laughs> she was going right. fishing. Right. Well, yeah. yeah. 2020 hindsight. I figured that out pretty quick. Um, so she said, okay. She So she hands me the paperwork and she says, I'm going to give this to you guys to go over. I'm going to give you guys a minute. And she said, she said, I'm going to step out. So her and the social worker stepped out front and she goes and makes a phone call. And me and uh, my husband are going over the paperwork. We read it. We sign it because they said we have to both sign it. So we're done. I go out there and the other social worker stops me and she's like, okay, she's on the phone. She's like, you can wait inside if you want. I was like, 
um, that's fine. I'll wait out here. I want to make sure my mm-hmm. dogs don't come up here and, you know, bother you guys. So automatically my flag started going up. I knew something was going on. And the decision right. was made before she got there to remove the kids. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And so when she walked, uh, when their social worker, Bianca, got off the phone, she walked up to me and she said, have you guys been smoking today? And I said, we smoked about five hours ago. Right there in the designated area where you guys tell us to every time. And she said, well, I smell marijuana. It's faint, but I can smell it. And because of that, I'm taking the kids. And those were her exact words. Wow. We just got home from picking up the kids from school. Nobody was even here. Mm -hmm. Nobody had been smoking. There was no, there could been there. She could not have smelled anything unless she smelled the plant itself. Yeah. And that was something I had been talking to them about frequently because they would say, oh, yeah, we could pro- we could faintly smell marijuana. I was like, are you smelling marijuana? Or are you smelling smoke? Yeah. And they're like, well, we, we can just we can smell the marijuana. OK, so you don't know what you're smelling then. And yeah. if you're not educated enough on the difference between the smoke and the plant itself, the plant is not harmful in any way to breathe in. Yeah. If you don't know the difference, you should not be able to be making life decisions for these children for it Yeah. on a topic you don't know anything about. And it didn't matter because when she said she was taking the kids and I said, let me have the number to this person you just spoke to, the person that made that call. They gave me someone else's number. Mm-hmm. They gave me the number to a, to their supervisor who Hadn't even taken over as her supervisor yet. Yeah, and 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 tell the listeners what that person said. So, when I got on the phone, her name was Cheryl. When I got on the phone with Cheryl, Cheryl had no clue what I was talking about, and I said, "Okay, Bianca is in the front. Are you her supervisor?" She said, "Yes." I said, "Then she's she's um she's trying to take these kids. This is what happened." I explained to her really fast because she's standing in the front yard getting ready to take my niece. This is the Urban Foster Dad Podcast. Subscribe so you won't miss an episode. And stay tuned for next week, the final part of CC's story. <laughs>